As you know, um, Graham and I were in uh, Romania last week, so um, I am bilingual now, just so you know. Uh, we've got lots of Romanians in. Buna, Chifaj, yeah? Bina, yeah, see? Romanians everywhere, we're surrounded. Um, that's all I know, by the way. Yeah, not much more than that. But we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, this morning we are continuing in our sermon series on the book of Acts. Um, man, I hope you've been challenged by this. You've just enjoyed learning about the early church and walking through their story of what it looked like when the Holy Spirit broke out on earth. Um, and we became his temple. I've really enjoyed that. Um, but before that, I'm going to kind of give you an update on our trip uh, uh, to Romania. Graham and I went. Um, I'm going to show you a few pictures as well. Um, you'll notice we haven't shared a lot of pictures on uh, Facebook, and there are reasons behind that which are a little bit um, frustrating but understandable. And that, and part of the reason is, is because we'll talk about people uh, that they don't want the photos shown uh, online, and, and that is because it's actually dangerous for them where they come from, the Nesk region of Ukraine, and They've actually been asylum seekers twice uh, when the first invasion happened five years ago, and then now again, they're asylum seekers again. Um, and these church leaders are saying, look, like, I want to go back <laughs> to my home one day, and I can't have my face all over as, you know, uh, uh, as someone who's kind of resisting the Russians. So um, we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but if you don't see lots of pictures of them, that's why. We want to care for them and honor them. We've asked them if we can share the pictures. They said no, so that's fine. Um, but yeah, so we were, just talk about Romania for a second, we were asked uh, <clears throat> a few months ago, before the war broke out in Ukraine, if we would uh, come out and visit a church in Romania led by a guy called Danny and his wife, Laura, um, and a church not too dissimilar to ours, actually, uh, in terms of size. Uh, just, and they asked if we would come out and just they wanted to build friendship, make friends. Um, they, they are part of the New Frontiers network, not part of Christ Central necessarily, which we are. Um, and they just you know, wanted us to come out and just meet them. And, and in that time of saying yes, a couple of months ago and actually going out, the war in Ukraine broke out. And I knew that we were going to love this church by what they did next, because before we even got there, they... They drove to the border of Ukraine, Romanian-Ukrainian border. They knew that there was Ukrainians crossing the border in the snow, desperate for somewhere to stay. And they invited them and they said, look, we've got a church building. <laughs> it's kind of bare bones, but we'll make it nice for you. Do you want somewhere to sleep? And they took, they've now got over 50 Ukrainian refugees living in a building. It's probably about half the size of the whole center here. And they have just worked tirelessly to make it a place for them to be a community. Um, most of them are non-believers. Um, and they're baffled by why this church has <laughs> opened up their doors to them and welcomed them. And they've got uh, dormitories for them and a kitchen and places for them to stay. And I knew it was going to be hard meeting the refugees when we went. Um, but I didn't realize how hard it was going to be seeing you know, a family of five living in a room fit for one person, you know. Um, it was really difficult to see. Uh, and uh, it wasn't just that, it was the thing, little things, like, you know, children with all their clothes on the floor because there was nowhere, no wardrobes, no, nowhere to hang their clothing. Uh, two showers between 50 of them. And the church is just doing an incredible job and they're doing their best. 
but uh, they're, they're still, there's still huge short, shortcomings in terms of what they can provide. Um, so meeting the church there was just amazing. And to see the work that they were doing was just incredible. And we're going to be praying about if there's anything that we can do practically as a church to help them other than just pray. Um, but whether or not um, one of the big issues, whether you watch the video that we put out on Facebook or not, was between the Romanians generally will speak Romanian and English fairly well, but the Ukrainians will generally speak Russian and Ukrainian. Um, and there's a huge language barrier there. And, and what they're saying is, look, practically, it's not really good for them to learn Romanian because nobody speaks Romanian apart from Romanians. Um, and if they do end up in the UK or um, in the Netherlands or wherever is taking asylum seekers, Germany, um, that actually English is the best language for them to learn now to help them communicate with Westerners in that sense. So... So we might be able to look at offering something like that. We're going to meet as an eldership tomorrow and pray about that. Please pray with us that we just have wisdom. This is something that we should be helping with. If we have the right people, they would come forward and say, we'll go and teach Ukrainians English. And, uh, but the right people would come forward. Just looking at a couple of people around the room right now. Uh, but um, that's all right. Um, but yeah, so, so there's a real need there. The second part was that we obviously we didn't plan on was that the Ukrainian leadership of the churches in Ukraine, there are Christ-central churches like ours in Ukraine, um, around 10 or so spread throughout the country. And um, uh, there was a whole bunch of people, uh, four, four guys that came across, uh, Igor and his wife who oversee uh, apostolically those churches. And then there was Oleg and Joseph who were church pastors from couple of churches. Uh, you can hear Oleg's story, for example, on the podcast we put out and recorded, just asked him a few questions. Um, he answered in Russian and that was translated to English. Last Sunday was fun at the Romanian church because the guy was speaking in Russian. It was translated to Romanian. And then the girl sat next to us translated from Romanian to English for us to understand. It took a long time. And I think we understood about 50% of what was going on. Um, but just humbling to sit in a room with these guys. We thought we'd probably get an hour with them. We ended up getting two days straight with them, really. And to hear, you know, Monday, we were flying back here. They were driving back into a war zone to help um, their brothers and sisters and their fellow country countrymen. They were picking up humanitarian supplies from Romania, and they were going to drive back with them. And uh, it was just humbling to hear their stories. And, you know, we've sent money as a church um, we decided to send £3,000 and you guys individually have come forward and said, we want to send, I want to send money privately through Christ Central. Christ Central's raised £100,000 across our family churches for, for the churches there in Ukraine. And New Frontiers has raised a million pounds for the church there in Ukraine, which is just amazing. And they're going to hold on to that in certain ways because they, they have a heart to rebuild, not to run away, to rebuild. Um, so talking with the guys there running the humanities humanitarian stuff, got some pictures here. I've just handed out clothes. <clears throat> Oleg shared these with me. He's the guy, in, uh, he's from Kiev, pastor of the church in Kiev, which has kind of disbanded. And he's shown me his church, you know, showing me his worship team, pictures of his worship team. So you can imagine me being in a similar situation. That's Steve, that's Tom. Tom's in Spain now, Steve's fighting, you know, this person's in... Germany, this person's a refugee in Romania, and he's literally going through people from his church telling me that 
where they are now, and none of them are together anymore. And they've been ripped apart by this war, and they've been left, they've stuck around to give out clothing, and we'll just skip through some of these pictures, and they're moving hundreds of tons of humanitarian aid. They have four, the church in, uh, the Christ Central Church is in, uh, in Ukraine, set up four humanitarian spots around the country, and they send these pallets of food and clothing and shoes and um, uh, hygienic stuff and, you know, uh, bandages and paracetamol, all the kind of simple pain relief stuff. Um, they were buying in Romania. We'll go on to the next one. And just people queue up. And um, one of the hardest things he said was they, they queue up for hours and we stand there and we give them the bag of what we actually have managed to get. And they look and they're so disappointed <laughs> because it's just not lost me. Oh, there I am. And, um, and it just breaks your heart, you know, to hear those stories. And he said, we wish we had everything that they needed, but we just can't get it fast enough or into the country fast enough to meet the need that there is. Um, and then he shared, so a lot of the money that we've sent goes on humanitarian supplies. He said, but also a lot of the money, what they do is they rent apartments in safe cities, safe places, and they have three, four-bedroom apartments, and they just put a family in each bedroom. And that's what they're using the money for, to rent apartments, to put these families in that, that can stay in Ukraine. And while their dads are missing, are fighting back in their hometowns or villages or cities, they find safe spots for, to put these families in for them to live. Um, and they're going to do they, each family... Yeah, sorry, I can't watch too much... Each family gets three months in a bedroom, and they're just overjoyed. Um, sorry, got one. And they shared a story of one family that they uh, put that they're putting up, and um, they wanted to stay in their home town. They want to stay with the, their dad, and a bomb. Uh, the Russians bombed uh, one of these houses that they were in. And this family were hit by the shrapnel. And uh, the dad and the kids um, were hit with the shrapnel. And for weeks, they couldn't find anybody to help them. The, the, the church heard about them, put them in an apartment, and they sent a text in. Finally, we were able to wash our clothes, to cook some food for ourselves, and just to rest. And they said, this week, we're going to go into hospital the children and the dad were going to have surgery to remove the larger parts of shrapnel. They weren't able to do anything with the smaller parts. Um, but they were so blessed and overwhelmed that there was people that would, were willing to help them. Um, I think that is, we got one more picture. Was that the last one? I think that was the last one. Um, yeah, so you can take that off. And one of the amazing things was, was talking to um, Oleg, um, and and uh, Igor, the, the guys, the pastors there, was saying, you know, how, what is it that you're praying for? What is it that you really need? Um, and I thought they would say money or help or something. They said, what we need is men and women of God who will come to our country and they will share the gospel and hope of Jesus with the people who are without hope right now. And he said, we believe that God's going to bring a harvest 
from, from this disaster. He's going to bring good from this. And, um, and that just challenged me beyond belief. Um, he said, we need, we, need, we need evangelists, we need pastors, we need shepherds um, to come and to share the good news of Jesus, to share that there is hope. And if that doesn't blow your socks off, I don't know what will. Um, so there's two things there. There's the church in Romania, which is doing an unbelievable job with really difficult circumstances of helping those in need. And there is the church in Ukraine, our brothers and sisters in Christ who were just persecuted <laughs> um, in this moment. And if you remember a few weeks ago, Diraj talked about Stephen, didn't, didn't he, about him being stoned to death? And you remember how it described Stephen? Does anyone remember this? In this moment of persecution, his face was like that of a, anybody remember? An angel, yeah. And I've got to say, talking with those guys from Ukraine, there was no other way to describe it. It was like the Spirit of God was just on them. And it was so powerful, so moving. And we want to keep giving, don't we? Our brothers and sisters don't struggle alone. We're with them in prayer. We're, you know, we're with them with them in, in their need and in their aid. And, um, and perhaps some of you might be with them physically one day, but we want to be with them. So why don't we just stop and pray now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak um, on the passage I've got. And uh, we're going to hear the challenge of God in this. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you have not abandoned your church or your children um, in Ukraine, in Romania. We thank you, Lord, that the church has has heard your call to love those who are refugees, um, to love on those who are in real need of your love and your care, of practical help. And we pray, Lord, that as a church, you would stir us to pray more, to fight on our knees, Lord, uh, to, to reach out to you and ask for mercy in this situation. Lord, we pray through our brothers and sisters this morning as they meet and they worship you, even in, in war times. They still sing out prayers to you. Um, Father, I pray that we join them in worshiping you and declaring you as the one true king, the one Lord. And Father, we ask that you would bring those people like they requested. You would bring out from all around the world, you would bring out those people who were called to Ukraine to share the good news of the gospel. Lord, thank you that we can give them humanitarian supplies, toothbrushes, toothpaste, new shoes, but the best thing that we can tell them about is Jesus. And Lord, we pray that that's the one thing they hear about this morning. Jesus, would you invade their country? Would you invade their hearts? And tell them about the good news of the gospel. Yeah, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, sorry to get all emotional so early on, um, but we're going to read now from Acts chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, don't worry, um, I'm not going to go on for too long, but Acts chapter 6, 8 to 15, uh, is where we, no, we're not, we're not in 8 to 15, oh, sorry, I've, um, my notes are all wrong here, Acts chapter 8, 26, sorry. Um, my bad. Um, and we're going to uh, read about this encounter Philip has uh, with a stranger. Um, it says, Now an angel of the Lord uh, said to Philip, 
Go south to the go, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of of Kandek, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and a lamb, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Everybody know who he's talking about here? In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him about the good good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of of my being baptized? And he gave the orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So this is a fairly simple and straightforward passage in terms of what happens here. But there is some, con- there's some context to this that I think is going to be it's certainly challenging me, and I think it should challenge you this morning, especially in, in the context of what we've just talked about this morning before I've got into the Scripture. Uh, and we want to understand a little bit about what, what is happening here in Philip's life. Uh, Philip, as we know, is one of the seven men chosen in Acts chapter 6, um, and we know from that, because of that, that, it, that Philip is a man who is full of the Holy Spirit, is one of the one of the kind of prerequisites for being a deacon in the church. And we really see that he is full of the Holy Spirit by everything that we see him do uh, and say in Samaria. We see people respond. We see the power of the Holy Spirit working actively in Philip's life. And things are changing in Samaria, aren't they? We read about um, in Samaria's performing miracles in the name of Jesus, casting out evil spirits. He's healing those who are paralyzed or lame. And many people are accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Amen. Who doesn't want that with their lives, right? Like that is the life right there. Now, I just want you for a moment to put yourself in, in Philip's shoes or sandals, in his sandals, right, in this moment. He, he's not one of the 12 disciples, right? The original 12, like, so he's not one of the, like, those guys. Um, but in this moment, he has something, like, absolutely incredible going on, right? Like, in his, in his life. And he has this encounter with a man, Simon the sorcerer, you talked about. He sorts him out with a good spiritual slap, and this sorcerer becomes a follower of Jesus, 
Um, and, um, and the entire town thinks and believes that Philip is this man sent from God and he's come to do the work of God and to share this good news and they're responding. So much so that we see that Peter and John, they're, they, they're sent from Jerusalem to come and see the work and, and what's happening in Samaria and, and, and what God's doing through Philip. Like this is an, an incredible moment in Philip's life. And it's in that moment of Philip's life that God sends a messenger to him and tells him to leave, tells him to leave where he is. And he's going to go, he wants him to go south of Jerusalem and he's going to head southwest to the coast. That's that way for you. uh, Southwest to the coast uh, to Gaza. And it's this road that's this desert road and that's where God wants him to go, to a desert road. Now, if you don't think, God has a sense of humor, you're wrong. So to leave what he's doing there, this incredible work, and to go to a desert road. And that's the only instructions he gets. And, and <clears throat> we actually have some friends here from uh, our previous church in Trinity in on, uh, Ontario this morning, Tim and Lindsay. Um, and this might seem like an odd moment to mention this, but, but we were leading that church for, for probably uh, just under four years we were leading it. And especially after the first couple of years, um, that church was just, what a time to be part of that church and, and still is a great church. But for us to be part of that church was so exciting. Um, we were seeing people like literally lift their hands on a Sunday morning and say, we want to follow Jesus. Um, and it was amazing. The church was growing. It was exciting. And, and Owen Sound is a retirement town. They'll say amen to that. It's definitely a retirement town. And, and it was a church packed full of people in their 20s and 30s. I mean, people cool like me. No, I'm joking. Uh, you're not supposed to laugh at that. You're supposed to say, yeah. Um, but it was, it was like, I thought we were going like, to have bingo nights and, you know, and all those types of things to bring the church, people into church. But it was brilliant. And, you know, we'd have um, Monday night Bible studies and it was like packed full of 20s and 30s and people who got babysitters just come out and read the Bible. That blessed my heart more than you could ever know. And it was amazing, you know, people being baptized. It was amazing. And it was in that moment where we thought, wow, this is absolutely brilliant that God says, okay, now it's time to leave. And we didn't quite understand all of the reasons. We, I mean, we understood some of the reasons, but not all the reasons why God would move us in that moment. But we felt God say it was time to go. We were 100% sure it was time for us to leave and to pass the leadership of the church onto somebody else. And although it doesn't mention Philip's response in this, you can imagine what he's thinking in this moment that God comes to him. He sends a messenger in the form of an angel and tells him to move on from what he's doing in Samaria. Move on from this ministry that is so successful, that is going so well, to move on and to go south on this path that leads to Gaza, a desert road. I mean, come on. <laughs> send me to a bigger city. Send me, send me to, to a place where I get more responsibility. Send me to a broader ministry. Send me, send me where more people will hear the good news of Jesus. No, not there, to a desert road. What's in the desert? And I'm pulling this point out because I believe it's really important and, and because, here's the thing, there will always, always be a reason for you not to do what God is asking you to do. Always. Jenny and I, 
if I'm being honest, we could have quite happily have said, actually, you know what? I think we're doing a good job here, God. I think things are going well. I don't think anybody's, you know, too worried about us leading the church. Things are going well. You know, people are reading the Bibles. People are responding to the gospel. People are being baptized. Like, I think we're quite comfortable here. We're quite happy here. Let's stay here, God. This works, right? This is working. And Philip could have quite easily said to the messenger, well, hold on a minute. People need me here. People need to hear the gospel here. There's I'm in cities, I'm in towns, I'm in villages. Why on earth would I leave this that is going so well? This is going so well, I've got the apostolic leaders coming to see how well it's going and to help me with the workload that's here. And here's the thing, there will always be a reason for you to stay where you are. And, and, and here's, here's the other part of it. You will be able to think of a really good biblical spiritual reason too. I'm doing the work of God here. Things are going really well here. But that cannot be our measure for where God wants us to be, <laughs> that things are going well. That's not, that's not how we stay where we are. It's only when God speaks and tells us to stay that we stay. And it, when God speaks and tells us to go, that we go. And here's the, every single one of you, every sing, I could name you all by name right now. I'm not going to. But, but every single one of you is called by God to be his witnesses. Yeah, amen. Thank you. One person. I'll say that again. Every single one of you is called to be a witness of Christ. Yeah, whoa. Eight of you. Brilliant. Come on. I'm going to do that again. It might be the whole church. Every single one of you is called to be a witness for Christ. Yeah. Yeah. 95 of you. I'm going to go again. (laughs) You know, you might be called to head out to the Ukraine with a van full of humanitarian aid and drop it off with our brothers and sisters there. You might be called to go out to Cambodia, to the church plant that's happening there and be part of that team. You might be called to go to your office tomorrow morning and to share the good news of Jesus and what he's done in your life. You might be called to go and have lunch at McDonald's. Don't do that because it's bad for you. But you might be called to go, go there and, and share with the person next to you about what Jesus has done in your life. We are all called, each and every one of us, to be a witness for Christ. That's the basics of being a Jesus follower, a witness for him in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Okay. But here's the thing. Don't use what God has already done in your life and the blessings that he has already given you as a reason that prevents you from doing what God wants you to do next in your life and how God wants to bless you next in your life. I'm going to say that again because it is good, but I'm going to say it again. Don't use how God has already blessed you in your life to prevent how God wants to bless you next in your life. Right? You might have the best job in the world. I mean, I don't meet many of you, but, but you might have the best job in the world. You might think, man, my job is incredible. I love my job. I praise God every day for my job. I love where I work. We've even set up a Bible study because I found a couple of other believers. Man, I, I brought one guy to church to an Alpha course. God is using me in this job. I love my job. I enjoy it. It pays well. I love the lifestyle it brings. And you might praise God for your job. But guess what? You might have to give that blessing up in order to step into the blessing that God has for you next over here. You might have to give up your lifestyle, 
your group of friends, your, your, your little favorite restaurant, a coffee shop. You might have to give all of that up in order to move on to how God wants to bless you next. And all those things are perfectly good to be excited about, to praise God for, to say, thank you, Lord. But actually, he might want you to, to give that back to him in order for what he has for you next. Are you following me here? I like this. You're all talking. It reminds me when I was speaking in the, in the States. Everybody was like, hallelujah. Right, okay. But it's good. But it's exactly how we see Philip respond in this situation. God calls him from what he's doing and how he is blessing him in his life right in that moment, and he calls him to a desert road. And he calls, he calls him to head off into that direction. And then when he's there, while he's on the road, he has this encounter with a stranger, an Ethiopian man, a eunuch he's described as. A eunuch isn't necessarily something we have today. Um, and a eunuch, <laughs> uh, get ready to wince, guys, is a surgically castrated male. Yeah. <laughs> in some, uh, here's the thing, in some ancient Eastern uh, civilizations, a man could volunteer for service to the palace on the condition that he surrender all, not some, all parts of his genitals. Yeah. And as you can imagine, yeah, I know you men are wincing right now. <laughs> can you imagine, like, writing the job description for that? Must be, you know, have experience in, like, you know, food preparation, experience in cleaning, and be willing to <laughs> relocate and be willing to, you know, I won't go into it. But it was actually quite brutal. It was. And, and a significant number of volunteers didn't actually survive it. Um, so you go for a job, you do everything they ask you to do, and you don't even get the job. And as you can imagine, though, it proved loyalty to the person that you were coming to serve. Um, and actually, there was more practical roles that you would be trusted in because of that. The surgery virtually eliminated uh, one of the most common motives for treason. I'm not going to go into that too much, but it eliminated that threat. And consequently, eunuchs became very trusted. Um, they were highly trusted servants. And in this case, this eunuch that we're talking about here from Ethiopia, he was incredibly trusted. He was head of the nation's treasury. So you can imagine being the important uh, man that he was, the caravan, you know, the, the, the entourage that he would have had on the road. He'd been to Jerusalem to worship, and he was heading back to Ethiopia. It tells us he's on a chariot, and um, if you're anything like me, when I think of a chariot, I think of someone like going into war and stood on a chariot with kind of two wheels and a horse on the front. And, and that's what it would have been, two wheels and a horse in front. But in the Greek, chariot can even mean a travel chariot or a war chariot. And given the amount, the amount of journeying he's done, uh, it, will, it will, is more likely, 100% likely almost, that it's a journey chariot. It's just the type of chariot, uh, horse-drawn cart that it is. And he would have been traveling along quite comfortable, but he's not comfortable in terms of he's trying to read this piece of Scripture and he's seeking God. He's seeking the meaning of this scripture. And, the, and let's just think about this man for a second. He's a eunuch. <laughs> uh, he's an Ethiopian. So he's not, an, he's not a Jew. He's not an Israelite. He's a Gentile. But he's traveled hundreds upon hundreds of miles to go to Jerusalem to the temple. It says he went to worship there. 
And the temple, there was very strict rules. The Mosaic law prevented Gentiles from entering, so he wasn't allowed to enter for that reason. But also Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 says, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So there's two reasons he wasn't allowed to enter into the temple. He was allowed in the outer courts of the temple, but not in the temple itself, where it was only reserved for the Israelites. So this man, who wasn't even allowed into the temple, had traveled this vast distance to be close to the presence of God. Not in the presence of God, in the temple, but close to the presence of God. Not only that, he'd spent really good money. I mean, we take, I can't even describe how much we take scripture for granted now. The book is fairly new invention. We have all 66 books of scripture in one place, don't we, in the Bible. Don't take that for granted. It's incredible. But this man had paid incredible money to have somebody copy the words of Isaiah the prophet, and he was reading it and trying to understand who Isaiah was speaking about. Is he speaking about himself or is he speaking about somebody else? And this is a question that the Israelite nation had been asking for for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. And here he is and he's questioning, and man, does God see his heart? Is God good or what? He knows this man's heart He's traveled hundreds of miles, invested his money, is an outcast from the Israelite nation, and yet God sees his heart. And he sends to him, all the way from Samaria, a man who's got an incredible mission work going on in Samaria, seeing people give their life to Jesus, evil spirits cast out, people being healed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he sends this man, Philip, to meet this eunuch on the road, this Ethiopian man, in order that you would understand Isaiah 53. Is God good or what? God still works like that today. He still works. He is still working. And as a result, Philip the Evangelist, as he's going to be called later in, in the book of Acts, in Acts 21, that's how he's described. Philip the Evangelist never gives it up, even when he's old. He has an encounter with this Ethiopian man. And as a result, the good news of the gospel is shared and this Ethiopian man, he gives his life to Jesus and he is immediately baptized. And I love how it finishes. The the eunuch goes away rejoicing. And Philip's gone, but he doesn't care because he's got Jesus. And that is just the best. How good is God that he would bring Philip all that way for that, to lead him that way, just so he can have this encounter with this Ethiopian man. And I want to finish this morning by just asking you three things, really, to challenge you with three things. Given everything that I've shared about the church in Romania and Brashov, about, about the church in Ukraine and what they're doing there, and the need all around us in Darlington, everywhere. The first thing is, are we sensitive to what God is speaking to us through the Holy Spirit? Are you really listening to what God is speaking to you? It's really easy for the Holy Spirit to be drowned out by our lives, by our circumstances, by how good things are, by how blessed we are. Man, isn't God good? This must be what he wants for me because look how blessed I am. But actually, we need to be sensitive in the good times and the bad times to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking into our hearts. Like I said, in the midst of this incredible ministry in Samaria, God speaks to Philip and he obeys what God says. 
Without any doubt, all of us are called to be witnesses for Christ. And in order to do that, we have to have sensitive hearts, ready and willing to follow and to leave behind what God's given us, even if it costs. Even if it costs. Are we sensitive? Are we listening? The second thing is, is that we need to be a people who are available. Available. If we're sensitive to what the Spirit, Spirit is saying to us, then when he speaks, we need to be available to act on what he's saying to us, to obey what, what God is asking of us. You see, we allow ourselves at times to, 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 to pretend that we know what's best for us, what's best for our families, what school's best for our children, what career choice is best, what, how best to spend our money, how best to give our time, and we pretend that we know best. And in that sense, we say, actually, the desert road hasn't got anything for me. I'm going to stay here because this is what's best. This is what you actually meant, God, when you were telling me to work for you. You meant to stay here. And God said, no, no, I asked you to come over here. And in that sense, what we do unintentionally or intentionally, because we wrap it up in spiritual wrapping sometimes of, man, God's bringing fruit out of this, so it must be right, is we play God. That's God's role. You see, Philip understood without any shadow of doubt that he was a laborer. God was the one building a kingdom. God was the one building his kingdom. Our job was to be his hands and feet. And what we do if we're not careful is that we build our kingdom, our kingdom come, our will be done, and we, are, and we want God to be our laborer, our genie. God, this is what I want for my life. Will you bring it to me? And then when that doesn't happen, we get disillusioned with our faith and we walk away. Well, actually, it's a call to lay down our lives, to pick up our cross, to carry it, and to say, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. So we need to be available for the kingdom. Not to expect God to labor for us, but the other way around. Not my kingdom, but his. And third and finally, to be proactive. Just to be a people who are proactive. If we see a need, we must proactively try and care, and bless, care for and bless that person. Philip saw this eunuch on the road and he, and he heard him trying to understand the scriptures and he just broke that sound barrier and he said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Can I help you? Do you need me to help you? Simple question that can apply to so many things. As his workers, as his hands and feet, how many times would you, we'd love to hear that question come from a church? Can we help you? Is there something I can help you with? Philip was that eunuch's answer to prayer. He was his answer to prayer. He came at just the right moment to tell him what he was reading and how Jesus was the fulfillment of that scripture. He was his answer to prayer. And here's the thing, you might have all sorts of issues with who you are and you might not even like who you are. But I promise you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are someone's answer to prayer. You are. And it might be that you just pray with somebody. It might be that you just encourage them in who they are in Christ. 
It might be that you tell them the good news of the gospel. It might be that you practically help them with food or finance or just a lift. But actually, you are someone's answer to prayer. But we need to be a people who are listening to what God's saying and available to do what he's asking. I want to finish by just sharing, actually, it's Tim's story here, my friend from Owen Sound, Ontario. He told me this quite some time ago, but I just thought it was just so uplifting. Um, He spent some time uh, in his uh, early years. His parents were missionaries uh, in a couple of places in Africa, but he shares the story of what happens out there. He says, I was between the ages of five and eight. Me and, me and my family uh, were sick from malaria all the time. This one time, however, I was unable to get rid of it. I was unable to keep any food down, and I started to lose weight. My mum and my auntie were both nurses, and they tried all that they could, doing all that they knew how to do, including trying to insert a tube down my nose to feed me. However, nothing was working, and it got to the point where my parents were sure that that was it. I was going to die. They were considering how they would tell my family back in Canada the sad news. However, one of those nights, God spoke to an elder in the church named Ahari. Ahari was was the first convert at that church, Beforehand, he was a witch doctor that specialized in problems with children. People would go to him if their kids were sick, and and he would go to the spirits to see what they wanted and tell the customer. That was until Ahari gave his life to Jesus and became a believer. God had spoken to him in the night, I'm not sure how exactly, but had told him he needed to come to our house. He came the next day and found that I was almost dead. I believe they'd covered you with a sheet at that point. Is that right? Kind of covered you up. Yeah, you don't remember. (laughs) Ahari prayed for me, and after praying over me, I made a full and miraculous recovery. I went from having my parents planning my funeral to being completely healed. God is good. Ahari was listening, he was available. And proactive. Let's finish in prayer. Jesus, would we be a church that is listening to you? Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you pour out on our lives daily. But Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to not become too attached to what the world has given us or what you've blessed us with in this world. Lord, we thank you for the blessings you pour out, but we pray that we would be willing, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be willing to drop those things in a heartbeat when we hear your voice. Lord, we understand that there is a broken, needy world around us. And whether we're called to Darlington to be your witness, Newton Aircliffe, Bishop Auckland, Barnard Castle, Teesside, Yarm, wherever it is, Lord, or whether it's Samaria to the ends of the earth, Lord, 
we pray that we would be a people willing to follow you. Lord, that we would not allow the blessings you've poured into our lives now to prevent us from what you're going to bless us with in the future. Father, I pray that as a church, that we would be listening to you first and foremost. Lord, help us where we haven't made ourselves available to you, to what you're doing. And Lord, help us to be proactive, actively looking to share you, share the good news of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to encourage you to stand. We're going to just finish with a song of worship, just praising God. And one more time, I just want you to join me in just praying uh, for our friends in the Ukraine, our brothers and sisters who are um, really struggling. Um, And we're going to worship the King of Kings, and we're going to declare his goodness over, over the church, not just our church, but over the church in the world. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters. We thank you for their hearts, not to run away from the fighting, but to run towards the broken and the needy. We pray for your spirit to fall on them right now, Lord. Lord, would you fall on us right now and break our heart for what breaks yours in this world? Lord, would we be a people who are active and available to you. Father, we want to lift your name in worship and glorify your name right now, declaring your goodness over us, over our church, but over the church in the world and saying, Lord, you are greater than everything, everyone. (laughs) We declare your goodness, Lord. We declare your power. We declare your kingdom. And Lord, as we sing now, as we finish in singing and worshiping you, Lord, we want to declare how good you are and what you've done. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said.